everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name is Vera. I'm Liz. And this is where we take a look at graphic novels and trade and trade paperback collections that feature female protagonists. And this time we are taking a look at Wonder Woman, sort of. Um, so this is Diana, Princess of the Amazons. This was part of a... I don't know if this is officially... I don't... This isn't officially part of the DC Girls line, um, which DC did, but this is part of a trend that they did for a little bit of taking some of their characters, especially their female characters, and showing them in, uh, in more youth, kind of pre-teenage situations and scenarios. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, it occurred to me that between this and the fact that the other Wonder Woman we looked at was Earth One, we actually haven't done, like, a proper in-continuity Wonder Woman story yet. Huh. Um. For as famous as she is and as much as exists on her. The thing is, Diana is one of those characters, like, who's been around forever, but, like, a lot of her stuff is just weird. Fair. (laughs) Um, but this was written by Shannon and Dean Hale, who are a husband and wife writing team. Uh, illustrations by Victoria Ying, colors by Lark Pian, and letters by Dave Sharp. Um, and this is a graphic novel. It's broken into four chapters, um, and it covers Diana. I don't think it says what her age is for certain. I think it certain. says on the 11-year-old. 11. Diana at age 11 at kind of a little bit of an awkward age among the Amazons because, you know, she's not quite... I mean, if you're a parent, you're probably used to seeing the weirdness of the... or a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, we're used to seeing the sort of weird middle ground where, like, they're not they're not your cute little sweet kid anymore, but also you're like, how much of the adult stuff do I actually want you engaging in? And she's she's in that zone where the adults around her aren't letting her be more grown up, but she's also not the way that they are used to interacting with her as. And it's, and it's, it causes a little bit of a disconnect, sort of, um... She's an awkward tween. <laughs> she is, and, like, made more complicated by the fact that she is the only non-adult on the frickin' island. Mm-hmm. So, sort of spinning off from the story of her own creation with her mother crafting her out of clay, she sort of puts together this um, shape of a young girl and and attempts to blow life into it, not necessarily with any seriousness, but just with a lot of hope mm-hmm. in her heart. Um, and that creates Mona, who is a... I don't know if it's actually confirmed what she's supposed to be made out of. She's drawn like it's stone, mm-hmm. um, but she was like... Pulled together out of sand, like uh, Diana. Well, no, she was clay. She, they brought her from the clay. I think oh, oh, yeah, there. mixed clay with wet sand. There mm-hmm. it is. Okay, so I guess she's clay, by and large. And so now Diana has a friend and someone her age, someone who isn't as much of a rule follower, no, <laughs> as Diana is, and who starts to encourage a little bit of rebellion. In Diana, uh, eventually culminating in her getting Diana to open the door to Tartarus where the monsters are. Now, <laughs> I, I do feel the need to clarify this. 
it, Diana doesn't look quite as stupid as it sounds when I say that. <laughs> because the whole thing is made of, like, there's several mechanisms involved in the Tartarus door. There's, like, this whole giant um sort of locking mechanism mm -hmm. but even after you turn that the door is still strapped shut mm -hmm. so mona talks diana into sort of proving that she's as strong as any amazon by just turning, turning the, the thing crank, which she yeah. does but then mona releases the straps and unleashes the creatures from tartarus like you do. <laughs> like you do. Well, that's that's the point at which we find out Mona is actually a form of the sorceress Circe, mm -hmm. um, who is a long-running Wonder Woman villain. I did not realize that, but yes, she also has some beef with Diana's mom. Oh, they got, they got history, those two. Oh, yeah. And so the other Amazons show up. They, um, they do their best to, you know beat the uh, the creatures back and they can but the problem is as long as the door remains open even when they like you know they'll they'll stab the creatures with a spear or whatever then they kind of poof out of existence because they're basically spirits yeah they i think they get sent back to Tartarus. they just yeah. get sent back to Tartarus, but that means they can just waltz out the door again for as long as the door is open yep um and more creatures can come <laughs> out too so Yep, and Circe does what she loves to do, which is to turn a bunch of the Amazons into animals. Um, but eventually, uh, Diana is able to get the door closed again, and Hippolyta, her mother, is able to um, get Circe to turn everyone who's turned into an animal back and to leave the island. And then the two of them kind of have to reconcile, because as Circe herself points out, you know, when Hippolyta is like, don't you dare talk to my daughter. And Cersei goes, well, I might as well. Nobody else was. <laughs> and. Yeah. So we then from there get a resolution of Diana starting to take on more responsibilities that including the fun stuff like, um, you know, more combat training and whatnot, but also things like clean out the stables because. And kind of set a right, but. She had messed yeah, up. When yeah, and she, she was... asked. She has to sort of make amends for all the stuff she screwed yeah. up. Yeah, uh, under Mona. Mona's influence. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, and that's basically it. There's a there's kind of an added story at the end with Zatanna, mm -hmm. um, which I don't have too many thoughts on. I think it's like a preview, sort of, because yeah, has think, nothing to do with this. Yeah, I think so. it's a preview for just another edition. Uh, mm -hmm. of this kind of thing, this uh, graphic novels for kids series that DC did. Mm -hmm. um, but broadly speaking, what'd you think? I liked it. I thought it was sweet. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Anya's Ghost, but more for like the younger set. Yeah. So, you know, not <laughs> less smoking, more like, you know. Le less smoking and less more uh, horrific specter of super death. Super blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... So, a lot of the same beats of, like, somebody needs a friend. Um, at first, this seems all fun and games and, like, oh, look, I've got a new friend, but they're not a great influence. Yeah. Um, it, it is ultimately kind of a stock storyline. Like, you'll, you'll see versions of this storyline in, like, nearly every long-running kids show. Yeah. Where, where the hero is, a, is you know, preteen. Mm -hmm. We'll do some version of this story. Yes, the the new bad influence friend. Yes, then they exactly. get in trouble and have to learn that make their own choices and yeah, you know, kind of deal with the consequences of what they've done and everything. Um, 
I like the idea, too, though, that, like, yeah, she's the only kid on the island, and, like, that would... I haven't really seen that explored before, but, yeah, that would really be kind of awful, and you wouldn't have someone to play with, you know? So here's what I really like about this, and why I think, actually, Diane is a really good fit for this idea. Because this was, like, the one way which I wanted to bring up Zatanna, because the Zatanna thing at the end, I started reading that, and I'm like, eh. And it kind of reminded me why I generally don't like these sorts of projects, these sort of... Let's take an adult hero and just like slot them into a more standard teen story. Teen story, yeah. But what I like about this is Diana's childhood is actually not well explored mm -hmm. in really, and I'm not going to say it never gets explored, but it's generally a a flashback element yeah. at most. It's in not in the movies even. In so. the in the movies and the cartoons and the comics, it's something that gets referenced, but not a lot of time is spent there. So there's actually like whole this this isn't even like a case of okay, like this definitely has to be non-canon because like we're taking a character who doesn't get their powers in the comics until they're like whatever, but we're gonna mm -hmm. treat them like they have powers when they're eleven. Like, no, this actually could there's no reason this couldn't be canon. Mm -hmm. And so Diana's history actually lends itself to doing this kind of thing way better than most other characters I can think of, and in a way that actually enhances the story, because usually the problem with stories like this is that you're, le you left, you're left thinking, okay, why did you latch onto this person who, like, it's almost immediately clear is not a good influence, but when you're literally the you only you kid... You just don't know, and you're kind of desperate. It and... makes way more sense, than because... Even though this is a stock plot, I'm not going to hold it against the story to the degree that I usually hold stock plots against things because just the little fine specifics about Diana make it work better than actually it usually does. I could see her having a sense of responsibility, too, and feeling like, okay, I created Mona, like, I kind of got to, like, stick with her and, yeah, you know, clean up her messes, so... And it also does a really good job of giving of giving you a good sense of the of the community of the other uh, the other Amazons that are there, and it's not just like her her mother and a bunch of interchangeable characters. Like we get to know, you know, this one makes bread, this one makes pottery, and we get to we get a much better sense of community rather than just there's the kid and there's everyone else. Yeah. Um. And I also appreciate that they keep some of the random weirdness from the comics, like the fact that the Amazons ride kangaroos into battle. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. That's that's from the comics. They do that. I think I knew that. <laughs> um, I really like the colors in this, too. Like, certain things pop. Like, when they... Like, her hair just kind of stands out. Like Yeah. And... Her, her dark hair has a, has a blue overtone that... Mm. Um, that really gives it a, a nice, a nice like indigo look. feel. And they, we, we've got some purple haired people and stuff. And I like that. I like when they put the chicken in for the vase, that was like <laughs> a nice, like pop of different colors and stuff. Um, yeah. The and, I, and actually even Mona herself kind of visually works as well as she does because I mean, well, actually we're talking about the color right now, but the art itself is actually pretty good as well. It is more... Um, sort of it, cartoonish isn't even really the word, but it is sort of simplified and less adult than the comics. But it 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 conveys emotion well, yeah, the, more so than a lot of the stuff I've seen from like 
from kid graphic novels. I feel like it's the, more the, packed of, with emotion and like facial expressions without well, just little details in like eyebrows or like the size of the eyes or the mouth or like a drop of sweat or something, you know, to show yeah. nervousness. Well, like, it's, it's even more than the facial expression too because oftentimes like the body language does a lot to convey it. And uh, what I was going to say about Mona is that like her coloring does a really good job of giving depth to what is literally a monochrome character, mm -hmm. visually speaking. Yeah. Because everything else is so colorful around her. But yeah. she also has the same level of expression and everything. So Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I I, I did like the art on this. And plus there's a chicken. So <laughs> <laughs> That's that's always a bonus for you, isn't it? Yeah, chicken or a pig. Um, you know, any animal, but yeah. Well, some of the Amazons get turned into pigs. Yeah. Towards the tail end. C Cersei makes some waddles, so that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just a really, a lot of fun, a really understandable story for the character. Good art, um, likable character, learns a lesson. I mean, it's. It's simplistic, but for what it's doing, it does everything really well. Yeah, it's I, it's not amazing or anything, but I was surprised how much I, like, actually enjoyed this. I was expecting to come away with a sense of, well, that's perfectly fine for what it is. And it is, but, like, no, I actually enjoyed reading it. And it's, it always kind of stands out to me when kids, because, like, I, I enjoy a fair amount of kids' media. I mean, I watch a lot of stuff with my, with my kiddo, but... She's thankfully discerning enough that it's not stuff that I have to suffer through. So I'm always appreciative of, like, they didn't use the fact that it's four kids as an excuse to not do a good job. I think they did some nice world building, too, and really paid, like, you know, attention to what they were doing and, and making it look like the island of the Amazon, so. Yeah. No, I was, I was quite um, pleasantly surprised by this, just because I didn't... I didn't think it was going to be bad, but I didn't have very high expectations. But no, this this was nice and fun and pleasant. Mm -hmm. So this isn't even a case where I'd say, you know, uh, let your kids read it. I mean, yes, let your kids read it, but, you know, sneak a read on it yourself. It's it's fun. Yeah, I'll probably put this at the elementary school now that we've read it. So yeah, because they need more graphic novels there. They're, they're always mad that the middle schoolers have a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I am going to, uh, hopefully we'll be back with listener feedback. I actually didn't check. We have a um, couple. Oh, we do? Okay. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't My checked My phone's in confirm. the other room, so I'm going to let you. Okay. So, uh, we'll, we'll do a, uh, a quick, um, uh, commercial break. I know words. I can talk. <laughs> You're going to have fun editing this. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to leave the flubs in, whatever. Um, <laughs> And we'll be back in a little bit with listener feedback. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
All right, folks, we're back with listener feedback. And the last uh, one that we took a look at was White Tiger, A Hero's Compulsion, which we were kind of mixed-leaning negative on. We like the character, but not the actual yeah, story. Yeah, I'd be happy to read something else with the character, but it, yeah. Maybe not the same author. <laughs> uh, anyway, the first comment came from Tim Price. Well, I just read these issues on Marvel Unlimited so I could see for myself. I totally agree this was not a satisfying series. I'm not sure if there was a theme in play for the guest stars. The family is important to White Tiger or making White Tiger a point of view character to Marvel's street level superheroes. If it was family, just focus on her regular relatives, not the awkward Uncle Luke and Uncle Danny. If it was point of view, then only a few cameos, but give more Marvel villain, not suit guys. I don't think they were ready to commit to either concept or were going for something completely different. None of it worked. But I like Angela. I like her getting mistaken for other superheroes and being annoyed at it. And I think there's potential in her neighborhood. It's just a shame how the series was executed. Yeah, that's kind of where we landed, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Tim goes on, and yes... I have gotten my money's worth from Marvel Unlimited. I don't have a local comic shop anymore, so digital is my jam. I love reading new-to-me series. My focus actually started out with lots of female protagonist series, just, just looked interesting. And it's pretty great that Marvel has a lot of them. Squirrel Girl, Black Widow, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, Captain, Captain Marvel, Spider-Woman, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Black Cat, Hellcat... Jane Foster, Thor, on and on. Most of those we've done. I know, I was going to say. We haven't done a Black Cat yet, and we haven't done Hellcat. Hellcat's weird. Or at least the history of the character is weird. I'm up for weird. I, I don't know what they're uh, doing Can I just say, I'm days. so excited for Miss Marvel, the series, to <laughs> that's, come on Disney+. Plus. Oh. That's going to be nice. So, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to tangent on this. So, you remember Jessica Jones? Yes. You remember her best friend who was the radio host? Yes, Trish or whatever. Yeah. So in the comics, that's Hellcat. Oh, right. But Hellcat didn't start Patsy Walker, who in the Jessica Jones show, they made that like a a character that Trish played. But like Patsy Walker is the actual person in the comics. Okay. Patsy Walker started out as a romance character in romance comics. That for some bizarre reason they poured it over to the superhero comics after they basically killed all the romance lines. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> She's she has a weird history in the comics. I do have one of hers, but not like physically here, but like saved on Amazon. Like so, it's on the docket. Okay. To get to eventually. Um. Anyways, Tim goes on. Uh, this may sound weird, but these series are. Uh, also fairly short-lived, so I know I can complete them relatively quickly. I suppose that's the upside to the fact that a lot of these don't last as long as they probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, I find them very appealing. I do want to read more early Marvel issues, but having 100-plus issues to a series is a disincentive. I can't help but want to finish reading the series, so it's a win-win uh, to get great stories that, uh, that are easy to complete. And uh, you... And you didn't ask in the first place. Sorry, but thanks for another great episode, my punctures. Thanks, Tim. I'm glad Marvel Unlimited is working well for you, especially considering that I've I've heard about how badly Amazon has completely wrecked comicsology as far mm. as uh, digital comics go. So, 
Uh, if you've got one that's working for you, that's good to hear. Yes. Um, then we also have a comment from Brian Linton saying, I could hear in both your voices how much you wanted to like this series, and I'm sorry it didn't quite deliver. I haven't read this one and don't have Marvel Unlimited, so I only have your discussion to go by, but I agree that it sounds like this story could have used a bit more editorial oversight. Still, I hope this isn't the last we see of White Tiger because she sounds like an interesting character. I would agree with that. I would, yeah, I would too. Speaking of comics written by novelists, I recently read Far Spectre by one of my favorite authors, N.K. Jemison. I really enjoyed it, but realized that I'm hardly an unbiased reviewer. So if you ever run out of other books to review, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. My apologies for the shameless plug. Finally, my daughter has been lending me her comic books to read. See my comment from last episode. She's currently reading Strange Academy, Marvel's equivalent of Hogwarts, and I've been enjoying sharing that series with her. Thanks for another ex excellent episode. Well, you know, anything that is uh, a substitute for actually anything <laughs> Hogwarts related, we uh, support on principle, quite frankly. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There is. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, magical adventure book series that are out there. And if you want something that, like, has that kind of, um, you know, magic school thing, my go-to recommendation is still The Owl House. Like the the way I pitch that to people is like it's Harry Potter by way of Gravity Falls, and <laughs> and it's also really queer. So you know, and definitely has more characters of color as well. Too. Oh yeah. Like, so whenever you can promote like fantasy authors of color or queer authors, fantasy authors, queer fantasy authors, I'd say like that's what I'm trying to do. As opposed to, did, she did, who will did, not be named. Have I mentioned that I have a novel that's out and available? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't really setting it up for you. I know. Go for I, it. Go for it. <laughs> okay, I might as well. I started. I can't remember if I've talked about this on the on this podcast I don't before know. or not. Um, but I have, a, I have a fantasy novel called Dreams of Fire. It was published under Nathaniel Wayne as the author. It is available on Amazon. But if you don't want to line Jeff Bezos's wallet, um, it can also be acquired through Ingram, which you don't need to know what that means, but it means that it can be acquired by your local bookstore or library. It's Dreams of Fire by Nathaniel Wayne. I would say a good age range, is, would, age range would be 11 and up. Um, there is, you know, there's some tension, there's some violence, there's some scary bits, but it's, it's not, it's not adult. It is, um, acceptable to that younger age demographic, though it isn't specifically aimed at it, but I think it, it works from there and, you know, buy my book. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. Anyways, okay, shameless plug over. Um, and I'll try not, I'll try not to ever, uh, do that again. I'll take that as my one freebie. <laughs> well, I say, okay, I'll try to never do that again for this book. If I get another book <laughs> out, maybe I will. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's stargazing is what we're doing. Yep. By Jenny Wang, um, who we've done that author before, um, author of The Prince and the Dressmaker. So. Yes, which is going to put me at high expectations. Cause... I know. I don't know much about this one at all, but... So, we'll say, like, I understand it's not technically the same material, so no, I won't totally expect... I won't expect to connect... Time period, like... I won't expect to connect with it in the same way, but, like, I really, really loved Prince and the Dressmaker so, so much. So, 
Uh, we'll see how this one turns out. But uh, until then, folks, you can leave comments on fireandwaterpodcast.com, uh, and uh, we'll see you in a month. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. This particular show enjoys support from Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach. Thanks again for listening.